Uh, all right, if you have a Bible, please open it with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Um, as I, I've said for two weeks now that what, what we are required to do is sometimes re- receive grain that needs to be rolled out before we can crush it, before we can add all the other ingredients, before we can turn it into food. This is a section of scripture that I that was chosen specifically to address very real concerns uh, in, in our everyday Christian life, and it is full of deepness. It's full of wonder. It's full, uh, dare I say, in the C.S. Lewis way, magic. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, but before we do that, let us first pray to our God. Father, we thank you so much for Paul and his ministry to the church in Ephesus and, and the surrounding churches. We thank you, Lord, for his heart for the saints of God, for his love for you, Lord, for your throne, for your goodness, for your transcendence, Lord. And I I thank you that he was capable, Lord, of understanding the deep things of God and explaining them to us by the power of your spirit. I pray in the same spirit we would receive his words now, that we would be stretched by them, that we would be filled, that we would come to a deeper understanding not only of your love and who you are, but of who we are. We thank you, and we praise you in in the name of your Son, and amen. Now today, what we're going to talk about is the fact that we are, that we can, that we are told here to know the unknowable. Paul wants us to be able to comprehend the incomprehensible. Paul wants us to comprehend the dimensions of God's love, a love that, as we saw last week, is bigger and broader and higher and lower than anything that we can imagine. You go down as far as you want to go, God's love is bigger than that. You go as high as you want to go, can go, can even imagine his love is higher than that. There is a love that we can know, and yet part of knowing it is knowing that it's unknowable. (laughs) And Mike wandered off the reservation. And he's doing this on purpose, Paul is having his way with us here because he is a man who's wrestled with God and he wants us to wrestle with God. He does not want easy answers. He does not want a shallow understanding of who it is he's talking about. And and just to prove it, he goes on in the next verse, verse 19, to say that he prays that you would be filled with the fullness of God. And he's saying something just as paradoxical. He's saying, may you, a finite being, a creature, be filled with the infinite. May the cosmos dwell in your eye. May the Pacific Ocean rest in you a clay pot. These are enigmatic and mysterious and paradoxical sayings. The hearer should pause. This is a lot of grain to thresh. And the beauty of it is, as we thresh it, As we rub it out, what we find out is that we ourselves are threshed. Our hearts are rubbed out. (laughs) And what's rubbed out of them is unbelief. What's rubbed out of them is this easy, breezy arrogance that is so easy for Christians. God reveals himself to us in his word that we may know him, and yet what we come to know is that he is greater and he is more lovely then we can comprehend. And this knowledge fills us up to the edges. This is, in fact, what Paul is talking about, and this is truly wondrous. Now, as moderns, 
we struggle with this aspect of our religion. With our microscopes and telescopes, which allow us to see more of the cosmos than any generation in history, we can see literally more of the cosmos than any people who have ever lived. And yet, why is it that we understand them so little? Right? I, there was a meme I saw, it was very funny. We now can carry phones in our pockets that allow us to access all human knowledge, and we sit on the toilet and share cat videos. Right? And this just explains man, modern man. Right? We have all of this knowledge, and yet we have so little understanding. It's crass, I know, but I don't know who does that. I don't, know, I don't do that, but the meme was funny. With 2,000 years of systematic study of God's word harmonized into confessions and works of theology, the logic and reason of man seems to equal to the task of dispelling all mysteries. All mysteries from God's sovereignty, from creation, from marriage, from covenant, from the sacraments, from Christ himself. There's no longer any mystery. We know him in his entirety. He's our bro. We, we, right? He sits down with us. He's somebody that we know like I know myself. Now, there, there is a great and wonderful gift that we've been given, comprehension about who he is and what he's done, but it so easily leads us into this trap to think that there is nothing left beyond that. I sat down, I read, I read the Gospels, and I got to know him, and I know him well, and there's nothing left to know. And <laughs> what Paul is saying is, no, may you comprehend the incomprehensible. And both of those things together create wisdom, create humility, create are, are, are actually the source of real Christian worship, real Christian worship. It is difficult to accept the paradoxes of Scripture, that the self-revelation of God is meant to be comprehended, and yet comprehending that full knowledge of God is incomprehensible. Okay? He lies outside of our ability to know him. He is bigger than your brain. Now, what we are meant to be confronted with is awe, is wonderment, is a sense of delighting in these things, to be dazzled by them. Right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and that word fear means awe. And so standing before God with a sense of awe is what leads to wisdom. Not, not, not standing before him and looking upon him and thinking, oh, I, I know this face like I know my own. Right? And, and, and knowing him is a trap to thinking that you know everything there is to know about him. And, and what we're going to see in our, as we open up this text today is that, is that there, there is mystery here. There is something beyond our ability to comprehend that is a source of awe, a source of fear, a source of wonder, from which we get what wisdom we are allowed to, to receive. That awe and that fear and that, that sense of wonder is where true humility comes from, true understanding comes from, and true worship comes from. Now, Dutch theologian, look at that. He says all this about systematics, and then he goes to the systematics. Well, welcome to a Reformed church. Dutch theologian Herman Bavink says it better than I could ever say it, and this is why I'm going to just read this now. I feel like just kind of closing this thing and leaving after this, but I, I will go on. This is what Herman Bavink wrote in his systematic theology. He says, mystery is the lifeblood of theological reflection. From the start of its labors, dogmatic theology is shrouded in mystery. It stands before God, the incomprehensible one. This knowledge leads to adoration and worship. To know God is to live. Knowing God is possible for us because God is personal 
exalted above the earth and yet in fellowship with human beings on earth. Good theology puts this knowledge of God on public display. It resists allowing theology to degenerate into rhetoric, a theology merely of words. It seeks the heart of the matter, knowing God in order to worship him, to love him, to serve him. Such theology is never a dry and academic exercise. It is eminently practical and fruitful, The knowledge of God in Christ, after all, is life itself. That's what John 17.3 says. What is eternal life? What is it? John tells us it's knowing Jesus. This knowledge is life itself. We need to pause here, Bavink says, to note how audacious is our claim to know God and to speak of him. How dare we? How can we? We are human, and he is the Lord, our God. Between him and us, there seems to be no such kinship or communion as would enable us to name him truthfully. Can we really and truly know him? Scripture leaves us in no doubt of this, not for a moment. In Scripture, therefore, the knowability of God is never an issue. The fool may say in his heart, there is no God, but those who open their eyes perceive from all directions the witness of his existence, of his eternal power, his deity, We dare speak of God for only one reason. He has revealed himself to us. Our knowledge of him does not arise from our own investigation, our own reflection, but because God on his part revealed himself to us in nature and in history and prophecy and miracle by ordinary and extraordinary means. The purpose of God's revelation according to scripture is precisely that human beings may know him and thereby receive eternal life. So I am never for a moment saying that you cannot know him. And and I'm saying that you can know him better than you do now. And you will go on knowing him better than you do at, at any given moment in your life until the end and still not come to know everything there is to know about him. What prevents us from knowing more about him is this stubborn belief we have that there isn't any more to know. Right? There, there are, that's a complicated thing that we heard preached. That's a complicated book we read. And so we sat down around the kitchen table and worked it out while we did a puzzle and ate ice cream. That's what, for many of us, is the Christian faith. And I think that you can sit down doing a puzzle and eating ice cream and come to much deeper comprehensions of who he is. But the thing that we always, right, the thing we're chasing, the thing that we're seeking, the thing that we're wrestling with, is that he always exists beyond our ability to comprehend him. Humility and wisdom arise from our knowing, truly knowing, all that he has revealed of himself, which includes both the comprehensible self-revelation and the incomprehensible fullness of God. To know all that God has revealed of himself and yet know that it is not all there is to know should cause us to fall down before him in gratitude and awe. This is the true faith, humility, and assurance and worship of the Christian life. Now, what Paul is trying to teach us here is the wisdom found in Deuteronomy 29.29. The secret things belong to God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Now, let me go back there. We're not going to get distracted by the covenantal aspect of this, by the way. But it's important for us to understand what he, is, he says here. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. 
post-enlightenment Christians struggle against the secular zeitgeist that requires us to abandon the spiritual realm, miracles, the history and traditions of our church, and I think that this is due to our rejection of the mysteries of the transcendence of God. I've said this before. I don't think anybody who is a member of this church is an evolutionist. What that does not mean is that evolution has not affected the way you think. Because, because we're all chronological snobs. We all think that whatever is current is better than what was because of evolution. It's affected us more than we realized. In the same way, this rationalism, that there isn't any, right, that our knowledge is, is the same as God's knowledge, has, has caused us to abandon things that we ought not to have abandoned. And I'm not just here talking about the fact that we don't understand the spiritual realm that's attacking us, right, the principalities and powers of the air. Our inability to discern the spiritual realm includes our inability to discern the spirit of God. And and these two things are linked. And and partially why I'm going over this text and talking about this is for this reason. It's one thing that you don't know that you have to put on the full armor of God because screw tape is out there and he wants to get at you and you're being attacked by things in the spiritual realm. That is true. But this rejection, this rationalism that rejects the spiritual world also rejects the ability to comprehend the Holy Spirit and what he is doing. How does, God, how does Jesus have a body and remain in heaven, wherever that is, at the right hand of God, wherever that is, and yet dwell in my heart simultaneously? How does he do that? And I think we have a difficult time comprehending that and you follow the path all the way back to, there isn't really anything transcendent beyond my knowledge of him. These things affect us far more than we realize. Now, because I always like to mix in a little of that controversial, it's no mystery to me, this part, as to why people can't comprehend what happens in communion, because it's, what, what happens in communion is spiritual. What, what happens in marriage, right, the, the uni- uniting of man and woman, is spiritual. What happens on, in worship on Sunday morning is spiritual. There are all these things that the spirit is doing, but we have rejected the spiritual realm, and, and, and that's not just bad because there are evil spirits who hate us. There is a good spirit who loves us, who's trying to get us further up and further into these things. But because we think human knowledge and God's knowledge is equal, that we can know all about him, that we can know him like he knows himself, that we can know this world like he knows himself. I mean, for goodness sakes, we recently saw pictures on, on like the backside of a distant galaxy. And once you get to that point, you think, what can't we do? What can't we do? We can build a tower into heaven. We can peek a, sneak a peek of God in the shower, as Luther said. Well, he would have said bath. We can catch him. There's, there's nothing hidden from us. Everything is revealed to us in Jesus Christ, isn't it? There's no mystery. There's no transcendence. There's nothing beyond what we read in the Gospels, what we read in the, in the pop blogs and pop devotionals that we all soak up so, so much of. <clears throat> what Paul is doing is he's telling them, <laughs> and I love this. This is, this is how Paul works. You know, he's telling them that he's praying for them. I am praying for you. And, and we think, oh, that, no, look at that. That's very humble of you, Paul. That's very sweet. Yes, I'm praying that you would comprehend things that are incomprehensible. What, um, what, what, where are you going with that, Paul? 
I'm praying that you would be filled with the fullness of God. Huh, okay. Um, so, so did Job know God really well? Right? Did he comprehend him? And in order for him to comprehend God even more, what happened to Job? So there's a moment where I was studying this. I was like, you know, it's actually kind of funny what Paul is doing here because he's praying for things to happen to them that are the only way for us to know how much further God, right? You have to come to the end of what you think is the boundary marker of God's love before you're going to comprehend at any level that it goes beyond that. Oh, 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 man. And ever since I became a Christian, this is the stuff that Christians do to each other. Right? May you know the love of God. Well, what if that means that I have to get into a car accident? What if that means I have to lose my job? What if that means I have to lose my house? What if that means if I have to have a kid wander off from the faith? When you're asking me to comprehend what's incomprehensible, when you want me to be filled with a fullness beyond, right, that, that's infinite, it doesn't take very long, personally, for me to reach the, the boundaries of what I think are God, the dimensions of God's love. Right? I, we were out of milk yesterday. Boom. The edge of God's love. <laughs> and I mean, it's so funny how we are, right? And I, I, come on now. I really don't like drinking milk. But occasionally I do. And as the father of a home, this is me ranting at my kids yesterday, who pays for all this stuff. And the one time I want milk. <laughs> right? The cookies don't dunk themselves. <laughs> And, and so when we are praying for one another, when we're praying that, we, that, that you would comprehend the incomprehensible, that you would be filled with the fullness of God, think about what we're actually praying for one another. That's why we've got to slow down and really consider what he's saying, what he's teaching us here. It's a weight of glory, as C.S. Lewis says, that only the humble can carry because it breaks the backs of the proud. Now turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 17. And I'm going to read just for context's sake. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, the love of Christ has tremendous dimensions, and it is this love that leads into verse 18 from verse 17 and then into the love of Christ that exceeds our understanding in verse 19 which is where we end up at the end of Paul's second request, spanning verses 18 and 19. It was because, of God, because God is rich in love that he bestows on his people the untraceable riches of Christ out of his immensity. This, if you go back through the letter, this is what he's talking about all along. He's talking about God who is rich in love in chapter 2, verse 4. He's talking about the untraceable riches of Christ in chapter 3, verse 8. This immensity, this love is what he wants us to comprehend. It's what he wants us to be filled with. The irony of what Paul says here should not be lost on us. He prays that his audience will know what surpasses knowledge, which is Jesus' love. His second request is that the hearers would be able to fully grasp. That's what the word comprehend means. To comprehend means to grasp a concept or intellectual reality. Paul uses this uncommon verb 
as a vivid and ironic metaphor for getting one's mind around. So literally what he's saying is, may you get your mind around something that is too big for you to get your mind around. That is actually, if you, if you really wanted a bad translation of the Greek that doesn't work in English, that's actually what he's saying. May you wrap this rubber band around the earth, right? <laughs> may you take this piece of duct tape and get it around the cosmos. Good luck. And he knows that they can't do it themselves, which is why he's praying about the spirit interceding, why he's praying about Jesus dwelling in their hearts, why he's praying that they would be first rooted and grounded in this love, that they may actually have the means to comprehend it. This is called the noetic aspect of our sanctification. God alone affects, through the Holy Spirit, the ability to know what the human mind cannot know all by itself. If, if, if something is going, right, if, I, if some idea is going to fill my mind that's bigger than my mind, it's not going to come from within my mind. Get it? If, if, if something is going to fill my heart that is bigger than my heart, it's not going to come from within my heart. So if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm going to read this section here, verses 6 through 16. This is the noetic effect of our sanctification. This is the invasion of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit in us. Second, uh, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, and although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for your glory. None of the miracles of this age, I'm sorry, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one, can, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And we have the mind of Christ, why? Because we have the spirit of Christ. Who understands the, uh, the thoughts of a man besides his spirit? So if I comprehend the thoughts of God, it's not because I am so wonderful. It's not because I'm so, I have reason and logic and I have all this, this natural ability. No, it's because... I've been given the spirit, and now I'm capable of discerning spiritual things. I'm capable of receiving the thoughts of God in my mind because I have the spirit of God in my mind. And, 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 and this is something that is an everyday Christian thing. This isn't some highfalutin philosophy. 
You open the, the scriptures, and, and you're reading in 1 Samuel, you're reading in a book of, the, of Moses, you're reading the Psalms, and you comprehend Christ there in a way that they didn't when they received it, because you now have the Spirit of God dwelling in your mind and that gives you comprehension. A really bad metaphor for this is that it's as if I sat down and tried to teach my kids long division without having taught them numbers. Okay, what I want you to do is do, I want you to multiply 440, 322, 1016, and, and my kid's like, what are these symbols? Oh, well, they're numbers. So do this work, right? Now, if I'm going to comprehend the words of God, doesn't the word of God need to dwell in me? If I'm going to comprehend the thoughts of God, right, if those thoughts are going to dwell in my, my mind and in my heart, the spirit of God has got to intercede. What has been freely given to us is comprehended. This is why, and, and this is when we say the word mystery, it confuses people. In the New Testament, they use this word mystery because what, 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 what Jesus was doing was a mystery. It was concealed and then it was revealed. What he was then extending it to the Gentiles was a mystery. It was concealed and then it was revealed. When I say mysteries, and I'm talking about theology, what I'm talking about is that when you, like, okay, so say you hear a doctrine or some Bible explanation from somebody, and you don't understand it. It's there in Scripture, but for all, all intents and purposes, this person is not going to see it. This is why I don't do a lot of apologetics about Reformed stuff or covenant theology or eschatology, because it doesn't take very long. People either accept these things or they don't. I'm like, well, this is a mystery to them. What I'm talking about is a total mystery to this guy. He has no concept of what I'm saying, because he doesn't have, he, I'm trying to teach him equations without teaching him math. Okay, there are, right? there are things now I read them and I have, I have no idea what this means. Right? A few weeks ago, I was going to do the future of Israel. What, what happens to ethnic Israel in the future? It was a total mystery to me. I have no idea. And so I sit down, I have to study and pray and read and do all this work. And then I'm like, okay, it was a mystery, but now it's been revealed to me by the power of the Holy Spirit and this is what I think. Well, in that particular case, my, my thought was something happens to them. <laughs> I kind of checked out. Because it's still a mystery to me. And, and when we talk this way, what we're not saying is that God has left us utterly and completely bereft of, in any way, shape, or form of who he is and what he's intending and what he wants us to do. But if you open the scriptures and there's no mysteries left, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you right now, as a minister of the gospel, you have a, a problem. <laughs> if if, if it, there's no mysteries now, and you're like, oh, check, 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 got it, mm. Paul, I got me some Paul. I can reconcile Paul with James. I can reconcile both with John. And it's not in any way, shape, or form different from what Jesus said. It's exactly like what Isaiah said. There are no mysteries left to you. You should just stop now. Now, if you open the word of God, and there are mysteries, and you're like, I, th- th- it says it right here in black and white, and I have no idea what it means. Okay, now you're wrestling with God. Now you need other people. Now you need the church. Now you need other Christians. Now there's something more going on than just you and your ability to comprehend perfectly the mind of God. Sorry. I care very much about these things. Now, if this is true of the word of God... (laughs) How much truer is it when the sovereign one does something 
in human history. Now, have you ever looked at human, like what's going on right now? Like, can we talk about a few days ago? I know that politics is not always everyone's. But in one single day, we've got Putin looking like the greatest Western leader of, in the history of the world. He looks so competent and strong and like a man. And then you got Biden on there looking like the poor old guy. I just want to put him in a wheelchair and wheel him out to wherever he's from in Connecticut. I had this day where I was like, what are they, what is going, I have no idea what's going on. Right? I, I mean, I have a degree in political science. I study theology. I study philosophy. I study world events. I love Super Tuesday. It's like a holiday in my house. And I'm looking around going, this is, couldn't be more mysterious to me. I have no idea what's happening. And what I find right there is that, okay, now what I need to do is get on my knees and ask the one who does know. God, I don't know if you want me to understand this. I don't know if you want me just simply to obey. But if I'm going to understand this mystery that is happening in real time that might cause my sons to have to fight in some foreign war, I would very much, if you don't mind, if you were planning on it, allowing me to comprehend these things. And what Paul is talking about is this. We ought to take up the word of God. We ought to study it, and we ought to rub out right, the grain, and we ought to make delicious food. We're like, we know exactly... What to add to the, <laughs> like when you bake. Has anyone ever accidentally put salt when you should have put sugar or sugar, right? I mean, there are, there are some recipes. We know the recipe. We, we grind up the, the grain. We get the word of God. We mix it with this. We mix it with that. Bada bing, bada boom. Here we go. There are other times where you're like, okay, I got this substance here, and I'm not really sure what to add it to to make food. And so I'm going to continue to pray, God, how, how does this fit with that? What do I do with this when I got that? I don't. No idea. And this is what causes us to come humbly before the one who does know and beseech him, not only on our own behalf, but on the behalf of others. Now, Paul is revealing to us that there is a, comprehend, a comprehending of the dimensions of God's love that is finite and comparative, and there is a comprehending that is absolute and full, which belongs to God alone. This is common to all Christians. We experience the difference between these two kinds of knowledge all the time. Now think of Peter, okay? Think of Peter. Peter, when Christ wanted to wash his feet, he'd been with Jesus for a while, hadn't he? When they come to the night of washing feet, Peter had been with Jesus. He knows Jesus. He loves Jesus. He's following Jesus. He's all about it. Then Jesus kneels down, kneels, like we were talking about last week, and goes to wash Peter's feet, and Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. I you're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, um, I'm here to reveal to you a deeper comprehension. If I don't, I have no part with you. And you have no part with me. We part ways here. And Peter's like, hmm. Okay, you keep drawing lines in the sand, buddy. And I guess I'm going to just have to go with you. So he comes to comprehend Jesus in a different way. Jesus isn't just a guy who speaks and everyone listens. He's not just a guy who can quiet a storm and make bread right? Multiply bread. He's, he's also a man who will kneel down and wash my feet, even though I should be washing his feet. And, 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 and this is what I'm, this is the Christian life. He knows God, and yet through this wrestling with him over this issue, he comes to know him better. And I've often pointed out that there is a difference between pre-Pentecost Christians and post-Pentecost Christians, but this isn't the last time that this happens to Peter. 
right? In Acts chapter 10, after Pentecost, after he's received the Spirit of God, after he's, he, he's come to see the, the love of God is way bigger than I thought, we turn in Acts chapter 10, and he has this exchange with God, Peter does. Acts chapter 10, verse 10. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now here is Peter who thinks, okay, I know God. I know him. I know his love for me. We had this little exchange on the bank of a river where he asked me three times in front of everyone, do I love him? And I said, Jesus, you know everything. Of course I love you. And then here, deep into his ministry, the sheet descends out of heaven, and he's told to do something that is beyond what he thinks he ought to do. I can't eat this stuff. I've never eaten this stuff. I'm a Jew, for goodness sakes. What are you doing to me here? Like, I mean, hasn't everything I've been through enough? Now you want me to eat snakes? That's not the point of the story. But what else do you want from me? And he has to go through this several times. And then really what it turns out is that what God is trying to do is reveal to Peter that do not call unclean and common those things that I have called clean and special. He's like, look at that. You got me again. You got me again. Your love is bigger than what I thought. It includes more people than I thought. It's wider than I thought because now you're including all of these what I have been raised to believe was common and unclean. And Peter's not angry. Peter's not vengeful about this. He accepts the fact that you are, you are bigger than I can comprehend. There's more going on here than I can believe. And, and, and I have this, I wrestle with you and I come to comprehend that you are my God and I love you and yet you are always bigger than what I expect. And ladies and gentlemen, that's the Christian life. That is what Paul is talking about. This is what it means when we as Christians literally think of what we're trying to sell. I would like you to come and join me and know the unknowable. You're like, uh, no. Okay? I'm going to go to university, (laughs) and I'm going to come to know everything there is to know about the small area of life that I really care about, and I'm going to go about my merry way. And you can leave your weird mystery religions to somebody else. Because in, in order to know more of the incomprehensibility of God, what is it that we have to go through? Even this, like, okay, fine. It's not like terrible. It's not like the snake comes down and bites Peter first. He's told to do something that is against every fiber of his being. I'm not doing that. And then in order to obey, in order because he trusts him, because there's faith, because there's being revelation here, Peter is stretched and has to go further than he ever thought he could go, that he ever thought he was allowed to go. Fallen man's ability to grasp and to know depends on supernatural grace. It comes from outside of us, even like Peter, once we have received the Holy Spirit. Now, most of us are aware of what James Jordan wrote. I saw this quote recently. Life is often a series of unexplained horrors that have to be suffered through on sheer faith. 
Life is often a series of unexplained horrors that have to be suffered through unsure faith. Now, I've been there. I, I, I've been there. I, I've been on my knees. I'm like, I am terrified by what's happening right now. And, and I'm, you are bigger than this. You're bigger than me. If this is what you want to do, if this is not, I mean, what am I going to do? You are God. I love you. How often do we reach the edge of our comprehension of God's love? And we press on by faith that, is, right, that its actual edge is farther. Just like Peter was said, here, come out and walk to me on water. Right? We're, we're asked to step out of the boat and go further out and do unbelievable things. And, and, and the, the faith that we have in the fact that his love is bigger than what we comprehend is what is the cause of the faith to do it. He lies outside the edge of what I will reach. This is the wisdom of Job, whose counselors contracted God's love to a mathematical equation, if X, then Y, solvable with a little intellectual grit, as if God were nothing more than a dead butterfly under a microscope. Well, look, look, I mean, come on, we weighed him, we measured him, we smelled him, we put acids on him to see what would happen. We, we know this God, Job, and you are a wicked sinner. And so Job's comforters are what? Fools. They're utter fools because they think they've worked God out in, in his entirety. This is exactly what he's like. This is exactly what he does in these circumstances. Therefore, if he's done this to you, this is who he is. And Job's like, I don't know, guys. He seems bigger than that. Like, shut up, Job. Shut up and rub ashes on your head. John Bunyan wrote that it takes a truly skilled and wise Christian to discern the mysterious methods of God in his gracious providences towards us. Job's humility, faith, and embrace of being a created and finite being, not his deductive powers, led him to rest in God's love, trusting that God's ways were not our ways, that his dimensions were broader and bigger than anything Job was going through. Bunyan goes on to say that these breaths and lengths and depths and heights have in themselves naturally that glory that cannot be so well discerned or kept in view by weak eyes. He had need of an eye like an eagle that can look upon the sun, that can look upon these great things and not be stricken blind therewith. And here's what I was, I was thinking about what he means by this. And Bunyan, uneducated Bunyan, writing in, largely in prison, is, is on to something here. How many people in the Bible are, are visited by God who have this experience that, uh, of the transcendent God and are able to look in that sun and be like, okay, let's ride. Think of how many characters instead are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Now, if you start to add it up, I mean, some characters do it sometimes. But I mean, like Mary is visited by the angel and she's told that she's going to bear the... <laughs> son of God, and she says, okay, how are you going to do that? Right? Abednego and his pals are going to be thrown into a furnace, and what's their comment? They're like, well, you know, God's love is such, we could burn or we could not burn, I don't know, but do whatever you're going to do. And you're like, how are you staring into the sun and not going blind? Job tried to do it. <laughs> Sweet Job, and I don't think he got all the way there, frankly. I don't think he sinned, but he was staring hard in the sun for a long time, and he was there towards the end of the book. It is you know, 40 chapters in, he's starting to waver a little. But the problem with us 
is not the glory of the sun. It's, it's, it, it's, we're trying to look fully upon it with our eyes of flesh. And when I say weak eyes, I don't mean sinful eyes. I mean your human eyes are weak. Try, what happens when you stare at the sun? And with, our, with our, our spiritual eyes, we try to stare at these things. We try to stare at God himself. And, and we think, oh, we can completely discern what's happening here. We have no problem with this. This is fine. This is fine. And we're staring. It's like staring into the sun with human eyes. There are degrees of comprehension. Recognizing this is true humility and wisdom. Paul prayed that his hearers together would mature to greater and greater degrees of this comprehension. Now, one thing I want to last mention here before the end, Romans 3, I'm sorry, Ephesians 3.18, he unites this comprehension directly to all the saints. He says, may you with all the saints comprehend with all the saints. Now, why do you think he's connecting the comprehension to all the saints? Well, if we go back, right, I keep reminding us that the context of his prayer here is Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. The thing that he's trying to get them to comprehend, the dimensions of God's love, is a building, is a field, is a people, is a commonwealth. He's trying to get them to comprehend the size of God's love includes a lot of people. It, it can cover a lot of territory. It is a big building. And, and back in chapter 2, verse 19... He says, so then you, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And here what is being addressed is the fact that we have so hyper-individualized the indwelling Spirit that we don't understand... That, that his work is different when it's a group of us than it's just one of us. God works differently on a group of Christians than he does on one Christian. And what I'm not even remotely attempting to do is pit the two together uh, against each other. What I'm saying is that modern Christians do not understand this aspect of the Spirit. He does things when it's all of us, when it's a big group of us, that he doesn't do when it's one of us, or two of us, or three of us. And this is the clear comprehension of Scripture. This, this is taught all over in Scripture. The fullness of the triune God, that community of humility and love, is not one, is three living per, in perfect unity. There is a unity that comes from the Spirit of God that is only capable when you have someone to be unified with. If it's just you, there's an aspect of what the Spirit does in unifying you to another person that you never experience. Okay, <laughs> this is, right, so have you ever had a, a good group of friends, say at church, you got two or three of you, and you're like, we are pals, right, ride or die, buddy, and then another guy, a new guy comes along and totally changes the dynamics of the group, and, and right, that, what, what is the gift that God allowed this fourth person to bring to the group? A new level of unity, where there's not envy, there's not jealousy, and, and, and there. That is an operation of the Spirit in its particular circumstance that has nothing to do with individuals, but only with the people of God. He, 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 in this particular instance, is talking about the Spirit dwelling in our hearts. He's also talking about the Spirit dwelling in our body. When you were converted, you were made a member of a commonwealth. You entered a household that was already there. 
We already had a constitution, right? We already have a king. We already have a government. It's a, and this is the other thing. I'm sorry, I sigh because sometimes I just feel like let's all just sit here together for the rest of the day and I'll explain these things. Because a commonwealth is not a tribe. The, the Greek word for commonwealth is a very different kind of entity than a father and a mother and a household. They're not the same. Now, do we have those? Yeah, he says, he says, you're now the part of the household of God. That's important. He also says commonwealth of God. And the fact that he uses both of those words is very, very important. Now, imagine, <laughs> right, these sovereign citizens. I used to, when I worked at the courthouse, have one of these sovereign citizens. I'm not actually an American citizen. I will not pay taxes. I will not register my auto, my, my car. And, and what they did is they, they were born into a commonwealth, such as it is, and they're choosing now to be like, no, nope, I want no part of this. And you're like, well, it's really, actually, I love everyone, not that easy, right? So imagine like a six-year-old kid who comes to Saturday night dinner with the whole family. He's like, you know, I don't really know why you guys are overcomplicating life, but I'm going to start eating dinner by myself <laughs> because this household has got some serious dysfunction, right? <laughs> and I, and, and what Paul is partially addressing here is this, because he's got Jews, he's got Gentiles, he's got, he's got all these tribes that used to be at war with one another. They're all under the oppression of the Roman government. And, and he's, he wants them to understand there's operations of the spirit, there's dimensions of God's love they're only going to experience together. They're only going to experience them together. Now, in conclusion... What I want to address is the fact that we cannot oversimplify in an attempt to not overcomplicate. Now, what do I mean by that? What, what Paul is saying here is that it, it, it is the aseity of God, the clarity of God, right? I can explain the, the gospel to a child who can't read, and they can comprehend what it means. Now, that clarity, that aseity, that... that Right? Black and white, there it is. What that doesn't mean is that there isn't now other mysteries. Because now, even my sweet daughter the other day was like, listen, you guys need to talk to Peter a little bit before, before bed. Because now he's doing this thing, Dad, where he, we lay down to go to sleep, and he's like, what are ghosts made of? What, what is a ghost made of? He asked his sister. He's six years old. And she's like, I have no idea, Dad. What are ghosts made of? I was like, I have no idea. First off, let's talk about what a ghost is. And if, even if there was such a ghost, I, I, don't, I don't know, some kind of metal? I, I have no idea. <laughs> right? And so what, 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 we do, what we do is we either want to overcomplicate, right? We want to overcomplicate. We want to, okay, let's sit down and let's, <laughs> this is uh, Luther and some of the reform guys could not agree on what the word is meant. This is the blood of Christ. And then, boom, you have this like multi-generational, hundred-year-long debate as to what the word is means. I love everybody. That is the textbook definition of overcomplicating it. Now, in, in order to reject that, what we cannot do is drive the car right into the other ditch that wants to oversimplify the transcendent God of the universe. We've got, we, we've got to drive down the middle of the road. He is transcendent. He's beyond anything we can comprehend, and yet he's imminent, is the word, because he came as a man, and he liked to eat fish tacos. The God of the burning bush 
The God that was there at the burning bush was a baby at the breast of Mary. And when we talk, that is the transcendence and eminence of God. The God who addressed Job from within the whirlwind was a man who stood in the prow of a boat, quieting a whirlwind with his words. Okay, there's a lot that's revealed there, but isn't there still a great deal of mystery to that? The God who triumphed over the firstborn of Egypt was the only begotten of the Father who died on a cross. And, and in one sense, I can explain that to a child, and a child will be like, yeah, wow, wow. And yet there are depths there that are so beyond anything we can comprehend. There is a tension here between the knowledge of God, which is his, or I'm sorry, there's a, a tension here between the, our knowledge of God, which is based solely on his self-revelation of himself, and the unknowability of holy and perfect and infinite God. Finite man cannot contain whole and perfect knowledge of God who is infinite. You cannot fit the Pacific Ocean into a, a, a thimble. And theologian Robert Lethem explains that our knowledge of God is not identical to God's knowledge, neither in manner or content. We know this. Rationalism erodes the creator-creature distinction and leads to all kinds of other problems. It undermines the very fabric of our humility, the, the fabric of our worship. Rationalism, like evolution, like materialism, as I've already explained, is found in every tribe of modern Christianity. Not, there's nobody who escapes the influence of the spirit of the age. And the spirit of the age is rationalism. The spirit of the age is Darwinism. The spirit of the age is materialism. We have become a people who have lost the meaning of communion precisely because we've lost the meaning of what's clearly revealed in the word of God, right? What's plain and straightforward and incomprehensible is rejected, and therefore there are deeper mysteries, right, because we've rejected the deeper mysteries. This is what I'm talking about, about the spiritual realm. We are materialists. We think that, that you, me, here, what we can see with our eyes is all that there is. And you have been affected by that more than you realize. Because of our compromises with science and rationalism, we have lost any sense of the spiritual realm, the world of principalities and powers, the world of the Holy Spirit. Now, turn with me to Psalm 139. So even as we're reading the Gospels, it would be important for us to turn back to Psalm 139 and just read this. Wisdom from David, Psalm 139, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Now that God has introduced himself to you by name. He's told you what he thinks about you, what he's done for you, 
what he now expects of you. It's, right? it's comprehensible. But what we cannot lose in all of that eminence of Jesus Christ, the eminence of the true triune God, is the fact that, there, that he lies still beyond our, our, our complete ability to comprehend him. And he will continue through your life showing you that the dimensions of his love is far bigger than anything you ever imagined. And this ties a bow on the last paradox. Because how often do you, (laughs) it's riding high and you're full of the Lord Jesus. I I feel like full of the spirit, full of God, full of his word, full of his love, full of his joy. And then there's no milk. Right? And a little of me spills all over the place. And then, like, now I got to be filled up again. Right? Okay, let's go with a little more serious example the dark night of the soul, loss, sin, separation, terror. The, the, the United States election this year. There are things where we're there and we're like, I feel empty inside because of this. And what he wants us to know is that we, we will constantly get to this point where, no, there's, there's things here inside of me that are taking up space that don't like God and don't like his authority and don't like his res- the responsibility I have to him, doesn't like self-sacrifice, doesn't, and I've got to now empty that out, and lo and behold, it fills up with him. And, and as we go and we're worked over, we're needed, <laughs> like the fresh grain, what happens is, is, is the parts that he doesn't like, the parts that are wicked and evil and opposed to him, are worked out of us, and, and that space isn't left empty. What happens is his love, his grace, his goodness, his forgiveness... His mercy, his immensity continues to fill us up more and more and more. I watched this video recently of a, of a science teacher at a university, and he was trying to prove a point. He had this large jar, and he had all these bowls of substances. And, and, and what he was try, trying to get them to understand is, okay, so he takes the, the ping pong balls and dumps them in the jar, and he says to the class, is it full now? And they're like, yeah, it's full. So then he, he takes marbles and dumps the marbles in. He said, how about now? They go, oh, no, 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 now it's full. He says, okay. Um, so then he gets sand. He pours the sand in. And you're like, okay, I, I think I'm starting to get what you're saying. You're like, now it's full. Then he adds water. And you're like, okay, man. Man, this is, this is full. This jar is now as full as it gets. And then he talks for a while, and he comes back at the end of the video because water is such that it absorbs down into the sand, and he poured more water in it after everyone else had given up on the idea. And that is what your God is like. You think, I can't have any more of him. You think there's nothing left to know. There's nothing left to experience. There's no mystery. And, and, and you're constantly brought to the edge of what you comprehend. And what you find is that, there, that, that there's more fullness. How can I be more full, more full, more full? And this is what marriage is like, right? How could you love a person any more than you do on your wedding day? And, and all the people who are married for more than 12 hours laugh. And that is what our God is like. And it's not just, right? And it's not you as an individual all by yourself. There is a love. There is a dimension of his love that is only known amongst the people of God. And you are part of that commonwealth. You are a part of that household. And, 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 and I, I, may you comprehend how glorious and beautiful that is. And may you go on comprehending new and, 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 and far-stretching depths of that love that you have already received. 
That is what Paul is praying for his, his hearers. That is how we ought to pray, not only for those who are, we're responsible for, right, but for everyone. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness and kindness to us, your grace. I pray, God, that you would teach us, Lord, to comprehend those things that you have revealed about yourselves fully and completely, that we would be, um, Lord, fed by the, your word, that we would be filled with your glory and your goodness and your grace, and that you, you, Lord, would continue to reveal how glorious and wonderful you are and, and the dimensions of your love. May we never, Lord, grow tired of it. May we stand in awe of you. May we reverence you. May we seek you, and may we wrestle with you, Lord, that we might be filled with the fullness of Christ, in whose name we pray, and amen.